So John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 3 and verse 14, and then we'll pray, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning uh, with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, sorry, verse 4 as well, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Father, we, we, we need to see Jesus afresh in the pages of Your Word. Lord, we need to have um, clarity on Lord, what it is You've called us to do in following Him and how that, that command to follow Jesus is for our good. It's so that we can know and experience and demonstrate your love. So Lord, would you show us this? Lord, would you teach us this? And Lord, may we be able to leave today uh, just excited about walking uh, in this. Please, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking a lot, of course, about love. And if you remember from two days ago, we talked about how love is bigger than we think, that we tend to experience love in our family relationships, that's the Greek word storge, or in our friendship or peer relationships, that's the Greek word phileo, or in our romantic relationship, that's the Greek word eros. And we talked about how it's really only when we uh, know God as He is, the Greek word agape, or that commitment that God has to us, that these things begin to kind of fall into place and make sense. So love is always bigger than what we think that we're experiencing. At the same time, uh, we talked about how, uh, yesterday, we talked about how love is harder than we think. That it is a struggle for us to, to focus on God's love, to keep God's love in mind, to, to, as Paul says in Ephesians, to comprehend the incomprehensible. To, to recognize that God loves us in a way that is really, we can't even fully get our head around because God is love in a way that we can't fully get our head around. And yet, that's the reality. But today, we, hopefully this is going to be an encouraging to you, encouragement to you because today we want to talk about how love is actually closer than we think. And how as we see who Jesus is and, and, and the fact that we recognize that God taking on flesh, coming to this earth, that actually enables us to experience agape, Love, God's love, as we live out these other loves, as we experience Thorge, Phileo, and Eros. That these things are not necessarily, don't have to be the enemy of Agape. These things can be the, some of the ways that we experience God's love, Agape. And so we want to talk about that today. So we begin as in the scriptures we just read in John chapter 1, and again, reading verse 14, where uh, John writes the word, speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is the only one, the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that little verse is packed full of theology that we're not going to completely unpack today. We're going to only focus on what we call the incarnation, or the taking on of humanity that Jesus did. And again, I want to quote to you from C.S. Lewis, that great Christian thinker. He said, as God becomes man, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking on of the manhood into God, so here, agape does not dwindle into merely natural loves, but natural love is taken up into, made made the tuned and obedient instrument of love 
himself. And so our, the main thing we want to talk about today is how because Jesus himself came, that God's love can be experienced in the everyday. And there's three main reasons. And the first reason is this. Jesus is love incarnate. Because we've talked about that, that God is love, that God himself defines what love is, we don't just kind of have that in some sort of concept. It's not just because we read that now in John chapter 1. It's because we can have the historical record of seeing how that was lived out in everyday life. That we know that God's love is real. That actually heaven pierced earth in the incarnation when Jesus, when God the Son took on flesh. This is a reality now. We're not just kind of hoping one day we're going to see it. There is a reality now that we can experience God's love. In fact, what, what Paul says in Colossians 2 uh, verse 9 is that in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So everything that we can know about God this side of heaven, we can know now by seeing Jesus. And not just seeing him as, as the one crucified and resurrected, that's, that's pinnacle, that's important, but seeing him in everyday life. How did he respond to other relationships? How did he deal with other relationships? What does that tell us about God's love? Which brings us to the second point. That Jesus perfectly demonstrates God's love in our broken world. Now, there is a truth that we do have to accept and understand. That because our world is broken, that does limit what we can do. And it does limit how much we can experience. But it doesn't stop us from experiencing it doesn't stop us from knowing the love of God, which passes understanding, even knowing that in everyday life. So, let's talk about this, because we see Jesus as, that perfect, as he perfectly demonstrates uh, God's love in a broken world. And we start that with the priority of love, which is loving God supremely. Or in this case, Jesus, he loved the Father supremely. Listen to what he said in John chapter 5. He says, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. This is why, notice, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus said, I, I just seek to please him who sent me. He says in verse uh, chapter 8 of John, that the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, and this is why, for I always do what pleases him. The life of Jesus was a life lived to please the Father. He loved the Father supremely. Now we hear that and we can feel, uh, again, I, I don't know about you, but I can feel condemned. Like, gosh, I should do that and I don't love the Father supremely. We can feel that way. But that is not the point. The point is not for us to feel condemned. The point is to recognize that God has made access to his love possible through Jesus. That we can, in this broken world, experience God's love. We really can. The fact that Jesus did this. We can learn to, to see God as worthy of supreme love and commitment. And also, listen, this is the secret. When we put God first, this is, this is the, the, the great thing that we need to get our head around. When we say, God, I want to love you supremely, then all the other loves fall into place. Jesus proves this. He loved the Father supremely, right? It says in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus fell on his ground. This is the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he, the, the night he's going to be arrested and then crucified the next day. It says, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Now, this is really important to see because part of loving God supremely, loving the Father supremely, is knowing that you're loved. Jesus knew who he was. He knew exactly who he was. John chapter 13, verse 1 makes that clear, that before he washes the disciples' feet, John writes that Jesus, knowing who he was, where he'd come from, and where he, go, where he was going, he girded himself with a towel, uh, he rose up, and he washed the disciples' feet. In other words, before he took the lowest place, kind of a, a, a practical picture of the foreshadowing of the Christ, uh, of the cross, excuse me, before he took his lowest place, it, John wants to make sure he, that we recognize he knew exactly who he was. He was the only begotten Son of the Father. And so the, the, the reality is, as to, to love God supremely is to know that you're loved by God. To love God supremely is to recognize that He's already accepted you in Jesus. To love God supremely is to say, God, I don't expect being loved by you means everything's going to be easy or, or painless for me. And this is what Jesus uh, demonstrated for us. And we have to understand this. Especially when we start there and we understand, okay, God, if I'm going to love you supremely and I have to understand that you love me uh, perfectly, if I'm going to do that, then I need to recognize that, that if that's like Jesus, there's going to be pain involved, especially in the other loves. <laughs> There's going to be some pain involved. And it doesn't change the fact that I'm loved by you or that this is how I love you supremely. So Jesus loved the Father supremely. So that agape love was showed spiritually in his love for the Father supremely. But that agape love was demonstrated in storge or family love in the fact that Jesus loved his family practically. There was real practical relationship there. Uh, number one, under 2b, number one, we know that Jesus loved submissively as a child. In other words, as a, as a, a child to a parent, this is part of story gay love, he, he submitted to his earthly parents lovingly and submissively. The scripture says in Luke 2.51 of the boy Jesus, that the boy Jesus went down to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to his parents. Now, if there's ever a time, listen, if there was ever a time that the greater submitted to the lesser, it was there. That you have Jesus, God taking on human flesh, submitting to his earthly parents who, by the way, lost him. They didn't know where he was. Where's Jesus? We don't know where Jesus is. They're going to go back to Jerusalem and see him there. He's talking to the, the guys in the temple. What are you doing to us? You freaked us out. Hey, I'm about my father's business. And then it says, but he submitted himself to them. That's glorious. That God shows his love even in the greater submitting to the lesser. This is really important for young people as they grow up. This is really important for us to recognize. I think as children, as you guys who are still kind of under your parents' roof and, and having to deal with that, this is important for you to see that one of the ways that you experience the love of God is to say, okay, mom and dad, I'm going to trust that God loves me enough to put me in your home, even though you fall really short. <laughs> Because it's a reality we do. And, and I think there's also this reality that as parents, we need to make sure that we're not exalting, that we're not calling our kids to obey us or to listen to us based on store gay love. Hey, this is the way family works. I'm in charge. You've got to do what I say. That's not a good enough motivation. I say that as a parent who's done that way too many times. The way to do it, really, the way God would call us to, do, to, to experience his love and demonstrate his love is to say, listen, I know that I get it wrong as your parent. But I also know God loves you so much that he, for whatever reason, for your good, let me be your parent. And so let's learn to submit to God's love together and trust him as we deal with these things. 
That's hard to hear, I know, but that's the reality. This is how we experience God's love, not just family love, but God's love within family, okay? Now, also, Jesus uh, loved his family practically by, this is number two, he loved appropriately for his ministry. A big issue about uh, loving, uh, learning to, to experience God's love is learning to balance, especially in family life. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, says while he was still speaking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside, and they wanted to speak to him. But Jesus, pointing to his disciples, said, Here are my mothers and my brothers. Now, now one of the things that I experienced as being the only Christian in my family, not my wife and kids, obviously, but my brothers and my parents and everything else. Being the only Christian, one of the things I experienced was if I was going to experience God's love, I had to make a commitment to God's people, even when at times that cost me from being committed to my brothers, my biological brothers. That's hard. And I can't even tell you that here's the formula for the balance in that, because I don't know what the formula is. But I can tell you, I can tell you that though my kids lost out a lot because I was busy with ministry, they also gained a lot because I was busy in ministry. That God used that to show them something of his love. So I'm not saying I got the balance right, so don't use me as an example, please. (laughs) (laughs) Brooke Brooke agrees. Hey, she agrees, but she agreed to be my intern, so it couldn't be that bad. So no, no, in all seriousness, this is a hard thing to find a balance in, but there is a need that we need to find a balance in because if we're, otherwise what we're doing again is we're exalting storge above agape, above the love of God. We've got to make sure that we keep the love of God as, as, as primary if we want to experience Him as He wants us to experience Him. But lastly, talking about this family love, Jesus loved His family practically and responsibly as an adult. Here, here's what we see Jesus hanging on the cross when He saw His mother there, And the disciple whom he loved, that would have been John, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus being the oldest son in his family, in that culture, it's his responsibility to take care of his parents. There's no option here. She could not work or create or or collect a pension. It didn't exist. So what does he do? He's hanging on the cross. He's in agony. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to make sure mom's taken care of. And he says to John, make sure this is you take care of her. He's like, she's your mom. And he takes care of her. What's that? That's loving. That's experiencing or expressing storge love that's motivated by agape love. Are you guys following me? This is really important. So Jesus perfectly demonstrates God's love in our broken world in his family by loving them practically. But also, Jesus loved his friends individually. He understood phileo love, or in one sense you might say pure love, man-to-man love. Simple little phrase that we see in John chapter 11, a little, little uh, verse here that we can kind of maybe overlook and think, oh, that's sweet. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, we kind of read that and kind of go, okay, that's, why is that there? Jesus loves everybody, doesn't he? Of course he did love people, all people in a sense. He's the expression of God's love for all people in a sense. In another sense, Jesus as a man, a perfect man, had real and close relationships with other people. So that when John tells us that he loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, uh-oh, somebody needs help. So that when, when, when John tells us this, He's telling us this, listen, because he wants us to recognize, he wants us to recognize that there was a special relationship there. 
In other words, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, love incarnate, whose whole life was about agape, was demonstrating and experiencing agape in phileo, in peer-to-peer love. He was experiencing that. That's the standard he set for us. Also, maybe lastly, we know that Jesus loved his bride sacrificially. Now, Jesus was never married physically as a man, was he? We know he was never married, okay? There is a heresy going around that he was married from what was called the Gospel of Thomas, which is a heretical, false gospel from 200 years past the time of Christ. So if you hear about, hey, we know Jesus was married, it's a lie. I think there's even a movie coming out about it. It's a lie. It's not accurate. It's not right, okay? Not historically credible at all. But we are the bride of Christ, aren't we? And the Bible says about Christ that Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, this is us, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So even though this is talking about a spiritual relationship, Paul uses those verses in Ephesians 5 to talk about our husband and wife relationship. That we are, we are, especially as husbands, are called to love sacrificially. There's a more part of Ephesians we could have put in there where the husbands call the wives to submit sacrificially, the same way Jesus submitted to the Father, the same way we submit to Him. The point is, I hope you're getting this point, that Jesus didn't just experience agape love, or maybe what we mistake as agape love. He wasn't walking around with his head in the clouds. I can't remember what version it is, but one of the old, like, 1950s versions of, uh, like, a Jesus movie, and he's always walking, i got to take off my glasses, walking around like this. You ever seen that one? Come follow me. You're like, what's that guy on drugs or something? And you're like, what's going on? It's because they wanted him to be this kind of like otherworldly kind of floating around in space. That's not how he was. That's not what the scripture would indicate that he was like. So that that even when we talk about how he loved uh, his bride spiritually, there's a practical application for how we experience even romantic love in a committed marriage relationship. There's a lot there. In fact, the book that talks most about romantic love in Scripture, the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, that whole book, which is about romantic love, has been for centuries used as an allegory about the love of God and His church. So so the point that I'm hopefully making to you guys is that Jesus perfectly demonstrates God's word, God's love in a broken world in that He perfectly demonstrated storge, phileo, and even eros in a sense. That he perfectly demonstrated human loves. He took human loves, like with the C.S. Lewis quote was, and he didn't say, oh, those, put those aside because now there's agapes coming to the world. No, he took, by becoming a man, he took human loves and he exalted them to a place that they can actually demonstrate God's love. That happens, listen, as we, in following Jesus by faith, as we, by the power of the Spirit, say, Lord, I want to seek to demonstrate your agape love in my family in my friendships, in my romantic relationships. Are you guys following me? This is really important for us to grasp because if we think we're only going to experience God's love when we're saying, God, I want more of you. And so it only, it's only going to happen on those odd occasions when the worship's just, man, just perfect at church. That's where we're going to experience love. What an empty life. <laughs> what, what's the rest of the week a waste of time? 
So what about work? As we have friendships, we develop friendships at work, or we should be developing friendships at work. Are those friendships only worth something about God's love if I'm a really effective witness? Now don't get me wrong. Try to be a really effective witness at work. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying there's value in the relationships themselves because when we say, God, I want to demonstrate your love the way I love my co-workers, my employers, my employees, you know what we're doing? We're taking that basic human temporal love and exalting it into the love of God. Are you following me? This is what Jesus demonstrated perfectly to us. Now, we know that Jesus experienced God's perfect love in this world from the Father. So the whole, everything that Jesus experienced in this life, he was never less loved by the Father. No matter how difficult it was, no matter how trying it was, he was never less loved by the Father, right? But also, as he loved others, he was demonstrating that perfect agape love throughout his life. Now, we, we hear this and we go, well, that's great. Jesus experienced God's love because Jesus is the only begotten son. But what about me? How am I going to experience God's love? I'm not Jesus. I'm not, I, how, how's it going to work for me? Well, don't forget, first and foremost... If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have recognized that you've turned, you need to turn from your sin and put your faith in what Christ did for you on his, through his death and resurrection, you are adopted son or daughter of God. In fact, actually the Bible says, to be technical, you're adopted son of God, full stop. It uses the male idea. Not because females are less valuable, but basically he's saying that you have the same position in a sense, the same privilege as God the son has whether you're a, a male or female. This is the, your identity now in Christ. So you are loved by God. And you need to recognize this, that the reason agape isn't just kind of the lens by which we try to view the other loves. Agape is the foundation by which we live. That we are loved by God perfectly becomes our motivation, yes, and the foundation, yes, and the safety net underneath us as we pursue these other loves. I'm motivated to love others in my family, in my friendships, in my romantic relationships because I'm so loved by God. And, and I'm empowered by that to do those things. And also it's my safe net because I'm going to fall short of that. In fact, listen, this brings us to the third and last point. We experience God's love as we mature as lovers. Now as soon as I say lovers, you guys think heroes, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> I mean lovers as in those who are, are pursuing love, trying to walk in love, Okay. We experience God's love as we mature in lovers. So what, what came to Jesus, in a sense, naturally, because by nature he had a perfect, not just a perfect divine nature, but even a perfect human nature. That's a whole other theological conversation we can get into later on. But because he had that, he, what he did naturally, we are learning to do as we've been born again believers, and being born again, we've been given a new nature. This is why when you become a Christian, your appetites begin to change. And then your actions begin to change because we're given a new nature. We're learning to love like Jesus loved. We're learning to experience love as Je that Jesus has experienced. So let's talk about this, how we experience God's love as we mature in love. Okay? So we need to understand, first and foremost, that God's love is both the means and the end to our maturity. So walking in God's love, learning to live this way, learning to follow Jesus as a lover is the means by which we mature, but also it's the end goal. The goal is that we would one day, we will one day, learn to love like Jesus. 
go back to page one on your booklet and look at 1 Corinthians 13 with me. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Verse 8, love never fails. The theme of our camp. Jesus never fails, right? But he says, but, but Paul says, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, these things that we tend to say, these are the most valuable things in church. These things are temporal. <laughs> They're temporary. Our Christian experience needs these things, but those are temporary things. All right? He says in verse 10, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. That which is perfect is a reference to when Jesus returns and restores all things. It says that as in a sort of generic uh, thing, as in all of creation being restored at Christ's return. Okay? So it's, it's in Christ's return. So you may have, some of you may have heard that which is perfect refers to Scripture. That's not what this is talking about at all. It's talking about when Christ returns and restores all things, okay? The, the, the point is, Paul is writing this and saying, listen, we're not there yet. We're in process. But he also says there's a need for us to mature. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But I became a man. I put away childish things. That's true for me sometimes. <laughs> sometimes not. But that is what we're supposed to be pursuing. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, that is when Christ returns face to face. Now I know in part, but then, that is when Christ returns, I shall know just as I am also known. Do you understand? So when the Bible refers to being known, it's in a relational sense. Sometimes it's, it's referring to eros in a romantic sense, as in like Abraham knew his wife Sarah. That's a reference to eros, okay? They were coming together as husband and wife. But it's the idea of relational sense. So right now, God knows us perfectly, and because of Jesus, He loves us perfectly. Isn't that amazing? I mean, shouldn't that kind of be a reason to rejoice no matter how bad life is? God knows us as we are, and still loves us perfectly. Isn't that the thing that our hearts desire most? We all want to be known and loved, and we're all afraid if we're actually known, we won't be loved. Yet in Christ, in Christ, because of Jesus and Him alone, we're both fully known and fully loved. And one day, we're going to know the same way. The implication is, we're going to love the same way. You know, Jesus gave the command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And I want to be honest, I don't do that. I want to do that. Sometimes I feel I do that in maybe one of those categories. But do I do that all the time, all four of those categories, so to speak, with everything in my being? No. But you know what I know from this? One day, I will. One day, I will. And this is a great thing because when you recognize that the goal of your maturity is to love like God loves, then you can appreciate that the means of your maturity to love like God's loves is a thing, that, it's a race you're guaranteed to win. You're going to win the race, man. You're going to make it to the end. And it's going to be glorious. And that frees you up to keep running. Uh, a year ago, I ran uh, my one and only 10K. Torturous thing. I'll never do that again. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. But I'll tell you, you know, and, and, it, and it was really difficult because, um, you know, as I'm getting older, my ankles are bad, my knees are bad. And I thought, okay, I'm training uh, decently. I'm trying to do what I need to do to keep those things strong. 
And the, at the race, I, I, I got to the first, the first kilometer out of 10, and this, this knee started just screaming at me, like, what are you doing running? And so i like, oh, this hurts, but I kind of pressed through. The second kilometer, this knee started screaming at me, what are you doing running? And I, and I did start slowing down a little bit, thinking maybe if I slow down, it won't hurt so much. But guess what? It hurt just as bad. And so I picked the pace back up. I wish I would have done it earlier. I would have broke an hour, but I didn't. So I picked it back up, and I ended up finishing the race. You know, and that's all that mattered. I actually finished the race. It was amazing how happy I was to gather all the free bits you get when you run the North Center game. I finished the race. I finished the race. It was, it was awesome. And the thing was, that was really my goal. Actually, I had two goals, not to throw up in public and to finish the race. Those were the two goals. But, but the, the, the point is this, okay? When, when we're, the, the race that we've been called to run is a race that is run. The pace is love, and the finish line is love. And we're guaranteed of this eternal love that's way bigger than we just experience in these things. We're guaranteed to get there. Therefore, that motivation that it's the means and the end is super, super important. In fact, what does he say here at the end of uh, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 13, he says, And now abide, that is continue in faith, hope, and love, these three. So we abide in faith. We keep believing because right now we don't see. So we have to believe until we can see. Until we can actually love the way we know we're supposed to love, we just got to believe that God's doing this work by His Spirit as we abide in Christ, as we, we draw near to Him. We got to believe even though we can't see. We hope. Because we don't have it yet, we expect something good in the future. You, you don't hope for something you don't have, uh, that you have, you have it. But because we don't have it yet, we expect, because of Jesus, we're going to get it. So we abide in those things, and we abide in love, these three, but the greatest is love. Why is the greatest love? Because when we see Him face to face, we don't need to believe anymore, we'll have. We'll know. When we see Him face to face, we won't have to hope anymore, we'll have. But we will love forever. We'll love forever. Love is both the means and the end. Going back to your, your notes, now we're now turning to page 9. Now it's important for us to recognize in all this that God's love does not increase, but our experience of God's love does increase. It's important to recognize this, because remember, when we talked about love is bigger than, than uh, we think, we talked about love, God is love, and what do we understand about God? When God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush, he shows himself, I, I am that I am as sent me, right? I am. He calls, reveals himself as the I am, the unchanging one. So we talk about God being love, we mean God is love unchanging. So in, a, in one sense, God can't, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're in Christ, God can't love you more. He can't love you less. He is love, and through Christ, He's brought you into that love that's eternal. Okay? You need to understand that. Once you're in Christ, that's where you are. You're in that love eternal. You're not increasing, you're not learning to be more loved by God necessarily. Or less loved by God if you do something wrong. Now, God, in that great love, if you do something wrong, will chasten you because there's great love. And God, in His love, He may help you to under experience that in greater ways when it's needed and good and necessary. But we need to understand that. The Bible says in 1 John uh, 4.19, we love because He first loved us. I think that's the NIV I'm quoting there, but I think... Um, or maybe that's, New King, maybe that's King James. One of the versions says, we love him because he first loved us. But actually, in, in the best original manuscripts, it just says we love. 
And the context is not just that we love God, that we love full stop. So in other words, we learn to do this under this. We recognize we're already under this and supported by this agape. So, so this is important because as we listen to what, how Jesus says the things that he says here, like in John 14, we need to see them in that, in that light. It says in John 14, Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Why do we love? Because we know he first loved us. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and notice, and manifest myself to him. Now he's talking to his disciples who have been with him for three and a half years. But he's also preparing them for when he ascends to heaven. And they'll relate to him by the Holy Spirit only. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he will come to him and make, we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, this is what I mean by, it's important for us to recognize, it's not us increasing in God's love, but increasing in our experience of God's love. God doesn't say, obey me so I can love you. God says, obey me so you can know my love. You're not earning God's love by obedience, but you are going to experience more of God's love by obedience. Does that make sense? And what's the command? Jesus says, what's the great command I've given you? That you love one another. And so there's a reality here that we experience more of God's love for us. We experience more agape that God has, that God is, full stop. As we submit, submitting to this, live out these practical everyday life. Not only that, there's this promise of reward. This is the last point. God rewards us for loving Him even when we are unaware of it. This is glorious to me. Because sometimes, I'll be honest, I don't feel love towards the people that I'm serving or helping. I don't feel anything sometimes. Sometimes I'm just exhausted and kind of just, I don't want to want to say going through the motions, but I'm just kind of pushing forth. You know that feeling? Moms, you know that feeling, don't you? You know? Okay, I'm not going to strangle this child because it's Why my child. Dads? You know what I'm talking about. What? Why not dads? <laughs> Why not dads? Well, dads as well. Yeah, sorry. A little bit sexist of me. Well, no, dads are more self-sacrificing. Oh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just making sure you're awake. But we sometimes don't feel like we're actually loving. Our motives aren't maybe where they're supposed to be. But what's amazing is even though God cares about our motives, we saw that yesterday, didn't we? That God cares about our motives. That our motive is, Lord, I want to love you through this. What that means is sometimes the person that we're trying to show that love to, we ain't feeling love for. But if we're going, God, I want to love them because you're worthy of this. God still rewards us up for it. Listen, listen to this. Jesus is talking about, basically, when he's going to be the one that comes back to judge. He says, then the, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So when you are thinking, okay, I know I want to walk in love, but today's my week to serve in Sunday school. And I just don't want to be there this week. I'm exhausted. And you say, Lord, you're worthy to be served, even if the kids don't appreciate me. God says there's a word for that. When you as parents, dads or moms, or carers, to be fair to you, or carers, 
when you are taking care of your children, the children that are under your care, and you're going, I just don't want to do this anymore. And you say, but Lord, you're worthy of this. And you do that anyway, guess what there is? There's a reward for you. When you have that incredibly difficult boss who is just on your case during the whole year of the internship. That's God's applause, by the way, right there. That's God's applause. And you say, but Lord, you're worthy of this. There's a reward for you. You know, here, let me close with this. One of the things that's so glorious about recognizing that God is love, unchangingly, He is love. Therefore, any love that we experience ultimately comes from being made in His image, by being redeemed by His Son. When we recognize that, there's, you know what's so freeing about that? I don't have to produce love. I just have to learn to walk in it. I can just learn to experience God's love for me. And, and when I choose to love when I don't feel like it, I experience something of God's love for me. When I fail to love as I should, I recognize something amazing about God's love for me. Because Romans chapter 8, if you guys took the time to read it this week, says nothing separates us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, even our failures. You know why? Not because we never fail, but because love never fails. That's why. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your love for us is perfect. Lord, it's so good and so true. It's overwhelming for us to, to think about it. It almost seems too good to be true, but we thank you that you pierced history in Jesus. And then, Lord, we don't guess that God exists. We see in Jesus and know that God is real, that you are real, and that you are good and that you really do love us. Lord, help us not to treat these other loves as the ultimate, but to know that your love is ultimate, and let that motivate us to live out these other loves, and therefore experience your love in everyday life. Do this for us, we pray. Do this for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.